Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. New distressing scenes in Kabul. Desperate Afghans clinging to a US military plane to flee the Taliban. Reaction to those pictures tonight. COVID on a Sydney cancer ward. Authorities scrambled to contain the latest dangerous outbreak. And less than an hour until Melbourne residents are living under a lockdown curfew once again. But first, we have those remarkable new pictures out of Afghanistan. Scenes of desperation at Kabul airport. At least five people have died as thousands tried to escape the Taliban, some clinging for their lives to planes as they take off. Right now, ADF troops are hours into a mercy mission to rescue Australians still in the country and Afghans who helped in our military efforts. The defence flight left Brisbane earlier today. In total, 250 Australian personnel will travel to the region. Journalist Andrew Quilty joins me now from Kabul. Those pictures we're seeing from the airport are just extraordinary, utter chaos, scenes of desperation with people clinging to airplane wings as they depart. Who is actually getting out? Thousands of people have congregated trying to get into the airport, whether or not they have uh, tickets. And um, despite the fact that all commercial flights have actually been cancelled because the US military has taken control of the airport in order to get their own uh, diplomats out of the country. There have been uh, a number of those people inside the airport have been reportedly shot and killed by American forces um, who were trying to control the crowd. Um, I was on the outside of the airport today where there were thousands of people um, uh, milling around, making their way um, from one entrance to another, um, gunfire would ring out. I saw one person who'd been shot and killed um, on the road um, as the Taliban tried to secure these entrance points. When the president has fled, what happens to the residents? How do people defend themselves? Well, I think if you ask the Taliban, they would say, well, they have nothing to fear. We will provide protection and security, um, which, uh, much to perhaps your surprise, they have been able to provide that uh, to an extent in the city. The the airport is uh, is another matter, but in the city today, things are not dissimilar to a normal um, uh, a normal Friday here the weekend. So from where you're sitting at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's a lot more violence on the streets. It feels quite safe, other than what's happening at the moment in the airport. Relatively speaking, yes. I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty and people are nervous and um, there are a lot of Taliban, um, heavily armed Taliban in the city. There hasn't been um, widespread incidents of, um, of, a, of any uh, brutality of any kind. Um, there have been reports of uh, searches being conducted for, for certain individuals who uh, the Taliban are interested in tracking down, members of the government and so on. Um, there, there is a lot of scepticism to the, 
as far as their ability to govern um, is concerned. That all, all they've done for the past 20 years is is fight, and now you know the, the dog has caught the bus. So we'll see if um, if they're able to if they're able to govern. So the American-led occupation lasted 20 years. It cost a trillion dollars and, of course, many lives. What do you think its legacy is? Well, it's not good, is it? I mean, and, and today to add insult to injury as they airlift their embassy staff out of the country, they've shut down the airport for anyone who is not privileged enough to be able to uh, get a, a seat on one of those flights and trying to get out by commercial means. I think the, the the collective legacy, as far as Afghans are concerned here, will, will not be a favourable one. Andrew Quilty, thank you so much for your expertise tonight and stay safe. Thanks for having me. Let's cross live now to our Europe Bureau Chief, Hugh Whitfield, in London for us. Hugh, Australian troops are on their way now. They'll be joining British and American forces. What is the plan? Well, Ange, uh, we've got a few details from Canberra, but not many. That KC-30 uh, plane taking off from the RAAF base at Amberley in Queensland in the last couple of hours. It is en route to the Middle East, where it will essentially have to wait for the ability to land at Kabul Airport, uh, which is now in, con in the control of the US. Uh, but it is chaotic there, as you've seen from those pictures. So Australia is essentially going to have to wait to see if that plane can even land in Afghanistan to get those 130 Australian citizens out, as well as somewhere between three and 400 Afghan citizens who've been working with Australia over the last 20 years and have been offered a path uh, to Australia. Uh, some other countries have been able to get planes off the ground from Kabul in the last couple of hours, particularly uh, in the early hours of the morning uh, in Afghanistan. Italy, the Czech Republic, Sweden and Germany have all managed to get planes out of Kabul and back to their home countries, most of them with diplomats and their own citizens on board. Germany is expecting or hoping to get around 10,000 people out over the next couple of days, and that includes two and a half thousand Afghan citizens who've been working uh, with the Germans, particularly in their embassy. Uh, Britain is also working to try and get people out. The British ambassador has spent the last 36 hours or so uh, at the Kabul airport. He is among the few embassy staff who are still there personally processing visa applications from Afghan citizens. They're hoping to get out 12 to 1,500 people a day. Now, that is a lofty ambition considering what's going on at the airport right now. They're going to continue doing that as long as they can. And at the moment, that's looking to be about a fortnight in terms of planning, uh, with no one really knowing where the security situation is going to go after that. And you, where to now for the Western Allies who spent 20 years on the ground there? Uh, well, no one seems to be really sure. The UN uh, Security Council will meet in the coming hours in New York. Uh, there is a push, obviously, to try and work out what sort of multilateral response there might be. But it's clear that particularly in governments here in Europe, places like here in London and in Berlin, there is a sense of dismay that the US has essentially walked away uh, from Afghanistan. They knew that was going to happen. There was talks over the last couple of weeks to try 
try and bring NATO uh, together to send in NATO troops to stabilise the situation. But it is clear that without the US on board, NATO is pretty toothless when it comes to putting troops on the ground. And there is certainly a sense of dismay here within the British government. The uh, UK Defence Secretary, who is a former serving soldier himself, was palpably emotional on uh, London Talkback Radio this morning. The very least our obligation has to be as many of these people through the pipeline as possible. But I, I, I think I also said, and it's, and it's a really deep part of regret for me, um, that some people won't get back. Some people won't get back and um, we will have to uh, do our best in third countries to process those people. Why do you feel it so personally, Mr Wallace? Because <laughs> I'm a soldier. Um, because it's sad and the West has done what it's done. And we have to do our very best, Nick, to get people out and stand by our obligations and 20 years of sacrifice. Hugh, the big question now is, will other countries recognise the Taliban as Afghanistan's government? Well, Ange, there's obviously going to be significant reluctance from those coalition partners who've spent the last 20 years fighting the Taliban. Having said that, they are going to be left with little other choice. Boris Johnson has been uh, chairing a security meeting here in London in the last couple of hours. Uh, he has said a short time ago, or his spokesperson has said a short time ago, that nobody wants Afghanistan once again to be a breeding ground for terror. But there is a recognition that if they were to recognise the Taliban as the legitimate government, it would have to be a multilateral rather than bilateral approach. So Western nations uh, working together. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen straight away, but they have been talking with the Taliban behind the scenes for some time. Uh, peace talks happening uh, in Doha in particular. The UK is reaching out to the Taliban through a third nation that is likely to be a partner like Pakistan, who have been meeting with Taliban leaders over the last 24 hours. And then you have to look to places like China and Russia, who are geographically very close to Afghanistan. China shares a border uh, with Afghanistan. The Chinese government have said that they uh, would look towards friendly relations with the new Taliban administration in Kabul. Russia is expected to send their ambassador to meet with those Taliban leaders in Kabul in the next uh, 36 hours or so. So you have a, a destabilisation of that Western alliance uh, on, on one side and other countries like China and Russia going in to fill that void in that region. And that only could lead to uh, further destabilisation. And over the last couple of years, when Donald Trump was in the White House, we heard a lot from places like London and Canberra about the international rules-based order. There's not much of that left right now in Afghanistan, Ange. OK, Hugh Whitfield, thanks so much. A COVID cluster has broken out in an oncology ward in a Sydney hospital. Tom Hartley is in Sydney for us tonight. Tom, how many staff and cancer patients have tested positive? Well, Ange, five of them so far. Two staff, three patients from the oncology ward at St George Hospital in Cogra, meaning those already battling cancer, already in a stressful situation, are now in isolation. Now, the first patient tested positive on Friday. The others received their results over the weekend. It's understood the two staff members are fully vaccinated. 
Two patients have received one dose, one isn't vaccinated at all. Now, all patients who were treated over the past few days are being urged to get tested and isolated. Staff are also being contacted as we speak. And we've been told by some family members of those patients they're pretty upset because they say there's been little uh, communication about what's actually going on. And a pretty grim day all round, Tom. New South Wales recording its highest number of COVID cases. Yeah, and another absolute shocker today. 478 cases, at least 91 infectious in the community and still no idea when we're going to start seeing those numbers come down. The police commissioner said he hopes Operation Stay at Home, they've called it, will lead to a reduction in one to two weeks, a reduction of those numbers in one to two weeks. That high visibility task force targeting compliance in, in those suburbs of concern uh, that started overnight with 500 people so far being fined in a crackdown that's also seen police checkpoints at the limits of Greater Sydney as well as some 1,400 police and 500 defence personnel on patrol. Uh, the Premier pleading for people today to just do the right thing. Take a listen. It comes down to us. Uh, no matter what rules are in place, if people are choosing to ignore them, we will continue to be in serious trouble. Can I stress the case numbers are disturbingly high? And clearly that message hasn't been getting through these past seven weeks. Let's hope it really starts sinking in now. Yeah, fingers crossed. OK, thanks so much, Tom. There was anger and frustration at the Queensland-New South Wales border as Anastasia Palaszczuk announced even tougher COVID rules. From Friday, essential workers crossing the border will be required to show proof they've received at least one dose of the vaccine. That's despite the Sunshine State recording no new cases today. The ACT has recorded 19 new cases overnight, taking the Canberra cluster to 28. The new infections included an aged care worker and a student at Lynham High School. The Territory's lockdown has been extended for two weeks until at least the 2nd of September. The ACT Chief Minister Andrew Barr said the higher numbers were expected. And residents of Greater Darwin and Catherine have started a three-day snap lockdown after a man in his 30s tested positive. The man arrived in Darwin last Thursday after returning a negative test in Sydney hotel quarantine. Northern Territory Chief Minister Michael Gunner said authorities are working on the assumption the man is carrying the Delta strain. Authorities in Victoria have ramped up restrictions for Melbourne. In less than an hour, residents will be living under curfew again. Estelle Gripink is live for us in Melbourne tonight. Estelle, what are the new rules? Good evening, Angela. For the next two weeks at least, Melburnians will be confined to the inside of their homes between 9pm and 5am unless they have a valid permit. Now, this kicks in from midnight tonight, but we were being asked to adhere to this curfew from 9pm this evening, and that's why we saw supermarkets like Coles and Woolworths close their doors from 8.30 this evening. In terms of other restrictions, we know that playgrounds, skate parks, basketball hoops and outdoor exercise equipment are now back off limits and that is because there are concerns that transmissions could occur there particularly between children. We know in terms of exercise you can only be with one other person now and that's even if your household has more than two people living in it. But perhaps the most interesting one that's just come out today is that you won't be able to remove your mask to drink alcohol while you're out and about on the street and that is because we have seen some big gatherings and pub crawls over the weekend when we had some particularly nice weather here in Melbourne. 
Melbourne. Now, Ange, it's pretty crushing to see that we're back in lockdown again, particularly with the curfew, as it's a real reminder of what we were in last year. But the government says they don't really have many other options but to extend, considering we now have more than 520 exposure sites. So there's also understandable outrage over an engagement party that broke the lockdown rules. Yes, Ange, there were 69 people at this engagement party and even though no one was supposed to be visiting people in their homes, all of these people gathered there and none of them were wearing masks. Now, the Premier has said that this party was extremely selfish and it looks like it's going to be extremely costly as well. Let's take a listen to what police have had to say. That's why we'll be enforcing. Everyone will get an infringement. I did the math, I'm not that sharp at it, but the way I work it through at about $5,500 if you take off a few uh, for each child, that's going to be over $350,000 worth of fines. That's an expensive engagement party. So, Ange, it's now being confirmed that that party is a transmission site. We've got three positive cases linked to it so far. The Premier says it's now just a question of whether this becomes a super spreader event. Ange? Incredible. OK. Estelle Greerpink in Melbourne for us. Thank you. A Townsville man has been arrested after trying to hide from police under his bed. The 29-year-old is accused of robbing a Cannes service station armed with a screwdriver last month. Police believe he is also responsible for stealing a 60-year-old man's wallet back in July. The man is due to face court next week. A father and his twin sons have been rescued off the coast of Western Australia. The man and the nine-year-old boys were fishing in Dawesville yesterday. Their boat was hit by a freak wave and started taking on water. The three of them spent two hours in the water before help arrived. And a teenager has been charged with attempted murder after Wallaby great Totai Kefu was stabbed during a home invasion early this morning. Police say three 15-year-old boys allegedly broke into Kefu's Brisbane home armed with an axe, knife and machete. The 47-year-old was stabbed in the abdomen. His wife and two kids received serious lacerations. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Just one of the frustrations of this pandemic is that we can no longer plan ahead. Holidays are thrown into disarray with each and every lockdown. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton is with me now. Gemma, are people getting their money back when they have to cancel these trips? Well, Andrew, it's a really mixed picture. Unfortunately, under Australian consumer law, there's no standard a definition of what you have to do should this happen. So it really depends on the terms and conditions of whoever you've booked through. It also depends on how they behave with regards to you. Unfortunately, lots of people have been given the runaround going between the airline, the accommodation provider, a travel agent, a tour operator, and not finding any, any resolution. And it can take a really long time to make any progress. I, Choice did a recent survey, that's a consumer advocacy group, that said that more than half of 
travellers who'd had their pl plans cancelled uh, were waiting more than three months for any sort of resolution. And when it finally comes, only 17% got a full refund. So some credits, but often we can't even use them uh, within the dates. And then trying to get that extended is just another headache. Now, none of this is to detract from the incredible job that many travel agents have done. They've been working tirelessly for 18 months to get refunds or credits for their clients without earning any money for those efforts. Generally, where we saw the most problems is when there was a third party online booking agency uh, where we got stuck. So what is the answer? We just don't make any plans for this year and even next? Well, last year we were really caught out by overseas holidays. Given where Australia is, when we go overseas, often we plan a long time in advance and we pay quite a lot of money for the experience. This year it's really been about domestic travel and we've been very much encouraged, incentivised by federal and state governments to support domestic tourism and we want to do that as well. So it's been really disappointing to many Australians when we have had snap lockdowns, extended lockdown, so many unpredictable things, to have the same frustrations with, with local operators as well. On the whole, we're finding that if you go directly to the person you're booking through, you have a better outcome. If you're going to a bed and breakfast or a hotel, if you call them and book through them directly. But you can still go ahead and plan, just check the terms and conditions. A lot of places offer free cancellation, make sure you get uh, somewhere that's offering that. And don't look insurance to save you. Now that we're 18 months or so into the pandemic here in Australia, most insurers won't actually cover that. Uh, so you can book, but it really is buyer beware. And what about other things like concerts and events? We've started to see a few of them starting back up again. What happens when they get cancelled? Well, this actually does fall under Australian consumer law. So you are entitled to a refund if an event doesn't go ahead or if it substantially changes in nature from what you thought you were going to get. So we've seen a much much more satisfactory outcome for people when events or concerts or shows have been cancelled. What we are seeing is because it is so incredibly expensive for organisers to cancel an event, we're seeing many of them do it proactively in advance. The closer you get to the date, the more expensive it is for them. So we're seeing many of them just saying, look, I'm not even taking the risk at this point. But it tends to be that if you do have an event that's cancelled, uh, the plan would be for that it takes place at a later date or next year. So often you're seeing ticket holders offered to move those tickets to the next event or to get a refund. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Anne. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. COVID cases continue to climb in vulnerable communities in western parts of New South Wales with 35 new infections in 24 hours. 32 are from Dubbo, where active cases are nearly at 100, with three new cases in Mudgee. Doctors have grave concerns for the Indigenous communities in the region, which represent 25% of the population. Doctor and epidemiologist Professor Robert Boy joins us again. Thanks so much for your time. Under the rollout plan, Indigenous Australians were supposed to be among the first to be vaccinated. Has that happened? 
Well, it has in some Aboriginal medical services and some where they're Koori-led, locally-led. They've done extremely well, 70%, 80% uptake already. But there are some that are behind the national average and they need help, they need access to vaccination and that needs to be um, dramatically and rapidly improved. You have been involved in vaccinating Indigenous communities with the flu jab overseas and here in Australia. How can we make sure we get it right with the COVID vaccine? It's really important that we consult with the local community leaders. We need to get the vaccine out there. You know, um, minus 20 is pretty hard to achieve out there in Dubbo and Wongaratta. Uh, and so we need vaccines like AstraZeneca for people over 20. And we need a Pfizer vaccine for people uh, out there as well. And so it needs special uh, precautions, needs special refrigeration, needs special transport. We need to make sure that people understand why COVID is so serious. Um, Influenza 10 years ago when we had a pandemic did affect many Indigenous communities quite badly and immunisation rates did help. And it's the same with COVID. We really need to get vaccine out there as soon as we possibly can. Tragically, a 15-year-old boy has died in Sydney. The hospital says he had COVID but actually died from meningitis. So would the COVID have contributed to his death at all? Yes, COVID can be a co-infection with other serious infections, viral or bacterial. And so although uh, a minority of people with COVID get a second infection on top of it, something like uh, bacterial meningitis caused by the pneumococcus is recognised. There are many reports already in the literature around the world of this problem, and it's something that's preventable by vaccination against pneumococcus. So COVID is also preventable, so double vaccination can, can remedy that problem. Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra and Darwin are all in lockdown again. How do we make people stick to the rules? Well, you know, I think 99% of people are, but in New South Wales alone, 1% of the population is 80,000 people. So the fact that people are starting with curfews may just be the thing needed for that small percentage of people who are doing the wrong thing. And those extra Pfizer doses have arrived from Poland. Can you tell us why Poland? Many countries around the world in Europe, like Poland, and in North America have ordered too many vaccines. Poland ordered 100 million doses and they've got too many for their population. So they, they've got vaccine that hasn't passed its use by date. So it's safe and effective for us to take over from them and use it uh, for Australians. Okay, thanks so much, Professor Robert Boy. Yes. Now, Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Ange. A bleak day for regional markets today. The Delta variant is hardly new news, but today its potential impact caught up with investors with rising fears over how much damage its continued spread will do to global growth. Wall Street also looks primed for a sour day. That's as US traders wait for the latest update from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell tomorrow. That's for clues on how soon the central bank will start pulling back stimulus measures. Oil has just clambered back above 70 US dollars. It's also been hit hard by concerns that Delta will deal a bigger than expected blow to global travel. And no respite for the Aussie dollar. It's now buying 73.4 US cents. Ange. Thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.